Welcome to the second episode of Viva Spanish, the podcast. Mil gracias por escuchar de nuevo. Thank you for listening again. I recently read that 90% of podcasts don't make it past three episodes, so I thought I'd strike while the iron is hot and get a second in the bag, with, in fact, a guest lined up for number three. I look set to make it to the top 10% of podcasters in history. Anyway, after listening to episode one of the podcast, you'll know that I was a million percent ill-prepared for life in Spain, and that is the theme for today's episode. When I say ill-prepared, I mean I was broke and couldn't speak more than three words of the language. So as I learned from scratch, there were some things that I needed to get my head around and questions that I needed answering regarding not only linguistic differences, but also cultural differences. The first thing that I recall being incredulous about is Hace, hace, from the verb hacer, for the weather. I remember being the least informed know-it-all in a bar a few weeks after arriving in Madrid with a colleague of mine called Greg. He was a South African guy. And I asked him, how do you say it's sunny in Spanish? And he said, hace sol. At that point, I told him that it couldn't be, as hacer, because I'd just recently found out, actually meant to make or to do, so it wouldn't be right. He told me it definitely was the case, and it was at that point I knew this wouldn't be the only ridiculous thing that I'd come across on this learning journey. As you might or possibly might not have gathered, I'm hilarious. If you don't believe me, check these out. What did the Spanish fireman call his two sons? Jose and Jose B, of course. All right, another one. What do you call a Spanish man who can't remember where he parked? Carlos. Hey, 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 this is where I need someone else to laugh at my jokes. I need to insert some canned laughter or something. And another one. Uh, what do you call a Spanish man leaving the hospital? Manuel. Oh, right, last one. Oh, this is one that you've probably heard already. Why did the Mexican push his wife off a cliff? Tequila. And don't pretend you're not going to be telling them when you get to work tomorrow because I know you will. Anyway, the reason for bringing this up is because I remember being confused as hell when I received a message from a Spanish friend with whom I conversed in English, and it said, J-A, J-A, J-A. So I showed it to another friend of mine and said, what on earth does this mean? And they told me that actually it was the sound of laughter. Ha, ha, ha. And when I thought about it, I was like, ah, oh, of course, because the Spanish letter H doesn't make a sound unless it's preceded by a consonant. And th they'd all be going around sounding like Dracula or something. Ah, ah, ah. Anyway, another thing that I needed explaining was the imperative. Now again, using the third person singular for telling a someone to do a something in the affirmative way to be bossy. Bossy verbs are known as imperative verbs. This is how they did it, okay? So what I mean by that is the verb hablar, to speak, if you're telling somebody, speak, is habla, 
It's the he, she, or it conjugation of the verb. Comer, meaning to eat. If you're telling your children because they're not eating their dinner, to say, come, that means eat. Beber, to drink. Bebe, drink, etc. You get the point. When I mention cultural differences in this regard, I do want to make it clear that I understand it's not considered rude in Spain. But to British people, the use of the imperative like that, as an example for, let's say, dame una cerveza, give me a beer, or ponme un café, literally, put me a coffee. It just seems rude. Toma and sujeta being other examples. Now, it doesn't help the way that I'm saying it. <laughs> Toma, meaning take but often more like, here you go, or sujeta, meaning, meaning hold. Again, more like, hold this for a sec. They're just cultural differences. It's the way that they say things versus the way we say things, and it is absolutely fine and absolutely accepted. Now, one thing I did struggle to grasp for a lengthy period of time were the accent letters, okay? So when the acute that little diagonal line going upwards from left to right over the vowels, as well as the tilde, which is the squiggle on the end. Anyway, the acute accent mark is always on a vowel in Spanish. Now, what that does for us as speakers is it emphasizes the syllable within the word. It tells us where we need to place the emphasis. For example, the word station being estación. Because the accent mark, the, the acute, is on the O, so estación. Whereas in English, the emphasis is just assumed, and sometimes we can get it wrong, but obviously in the example of station, if we were to put an accent mark on it, it would go on the A, station, okay? The tilde being that little squiggle I mentioned on the end, that makes a whole new letter. That makes an ñ, and the sound of the ñ is pretty much that, it's ñ like this end with a squiggle on it in Espanol. Anyway, I could not get my head around that and it used to be more like a symbol to elevate volume for me. Needless to say, I made a few people jump with my early Spanish. Spanish people are really warm people in general and some of the things that you see and hear of them demonstrate that daily. Firstly, I love the way that a lot, I would go as far as to say most Spaniards if they see you eating, they will make eye contact with you and they will tell you, que aproveche. Like that famous English phrase, bon appetit. Literally, it means make the most of it. So it could be a last meal, but let's enjoy it in the context of enjoy your meal, as opposed to you could die after you eat that. But it's a really lovely thing. You know, you'll be sat there at the table, someone will walk past perhaps if you're at a restaurant or if you're sitting on a bench in a park and people will nod their head in your direction and say, Caproveche. Really, really sweet thing. Another is the way that more so elderly Spanish ladies, but other people in general do it too. Spaniards will stop you as you walk, poke their heads into the pushchair that your baby or toddler is traveling in and tell you how cute your kid is. Oddly, often repeating the word, garlic to the child. Aho, aho. Like we might do goo goo gaga. That's their thing. Garlic, garlic. They also use the word mono or mona, which really threw me off because I knew by this point, by the time I'd had a child in Spain, that mono meant 
monkey. Mono boy monkey, mona girl monkey. And that's one of the adjectives they use to describe something as being cute. Right. Pido perdón a mis amigos españoles ahora. I'm going to apologize to my Spanish friends now, but I'm going to have to raise a few temas or issues in this context. I'll be quick with these because the last thing I want to do is dig out mis españoles por el mundo. Now, I'm going to start by saying that being from a small city, you might hear what I'm about to say and think that wherever it is that you live, this happens all the time. It's not a Spanish thing at all. Paraguas. Umbrellas. I think there should be some sort of training course given and passed before people are given umbrellas in Spain. I couldn't even try to count the amount of times that I've nearly lost an eye with people in Madrid. And what they've been doing is trying to avoid bashing brollies with someone else. And what they're doing is they're tipping theirs to one side. I mean, that's criminal. They're not checking their blind spots. They don't see me standing just behind them on their shoulder. Whack. Wallop in the head to Lee. Nice one. Come on, guys. One lifts the brolly, the other stoops and drops the brolly. That's how you avoid brolly bashes. On the same issue, and I do feel that this is a big city thing, groups of people that walk down the pavement, spreading themselves out all the way across and disregarding the fact that you are walking in the opposite direction and eventually you're not going to have anywhere to go. Ojo, chaval. Feli el paso. Look out, mate. Give way. Now, the next two are biggies. Congratulations at this point to all of you that have ever driven in Spain and gone onto a roundabout and needed to take the last exit and managed to do it properly. You know, taking the inside lane of the roundabout, then moving off it by checking your mirror, blind spot, signal, maneuver, etc. Because that's not what they do where I've driven in Spain. And I asked a Spaniard about this and they told me that if you need to take the last exit, you need to be in the outside lane. Go all the way around. My Scottish mate Duncan used to say that you needed a hand grenade to get off a roundabout in Spain. Now, one of the other things, and this is the other biggie, that absolutely blew my mind, was celebrating your birthday in Spain. Now, when you celebrate your birthday in Spain, it's, it's a nice event, of course it is. You invite your friends out, you go for a meal, and this is an important part of this. You invite your friends out. Now, in Spanish, there's the verb invitar. Now, if you translate that, that's to invite. Now, the insinuation by invitar a tus amigos para cenar, to invite your friends for dinner, is you're paying, mate. You're paying. So make sure you've got plenty on your overdraft or make sure you've got some cash on you because otherwise you're rolling your sleeves up. It's a really lovely idea that you go out, you pay for all your friends to have dinner. But where I'm from, I'm pretty sure it's a... British tradition, the birthday boy often has his meals, or birthday girl, often have their meals paid for with everybody else at the party chipping in for you. That's your birthday treat. It's your birthday. Put your wallet away. You know, finish at the restaurant, go to a bar. Oh, no, I'll get this one, mate. It's your birthday. What are you having? No, 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 no. In Spain, you're paying, and you're paying for everybody. So think carefully about where it is you're suggesting to go out for dinner when it's your birthday. On the restaurant slash bar note, I remember after spending the time that I had with Diego and having been paid, that I said that I'd take him out for dinner, we'd have a few drinks while watching, I think Real Madrid were playing in the Champions League or something else, so a good excuse to go out for a midweek drinking session. Anyway, we went out, and when we'd finished the evening, 
I said to the waiter, la cuenta cuando puedas, por favor. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I thought, oh, I've made a mistake here. And I said to him, what, what did I just say? And he said, well, you asked for the bill, please. And I said, yeah, but I said, puedas. And he said, yeah, puedas. And I said, well, what does that even mean? Like, I, I don't, I've never seen the word puedas. And he said, that's the subjunctive. And I went, oh, Lord, here we go again. Something brand new for me to have to think about. And he explained that in Spanish, they have this, this verb called the subjunctive. And they use it when they're talking about a future moment that will certainly happen. Okay, so for example, cuando sea mayor. Now, it's a little bit ambiguous, that one. When I'm older. So a lot of times you'll hear Spanish people say it back. When I will be old. And it's not. It's cuando sea, which translates best from Spanish to English, when I am. But anyway, I'd use the subjunctive of when you can to the barman, to the waiter. And I didn't understand how I'd managed to achieve that. I guess I'd spent a lot of time in bars and I'd heard it so many times. And that's the point with this, really, this comment, that by being involved in this situation, and it's something that I do in my lessons all the time, a lot of my students will be able to tell you these fillers that they use in Spanish, like es que, meaning it's that, but actually not meaning anything at all, by hearing pues, meaning well, and it actually not meaning anything at all. Another example, bueno, is in good, but actually, again, not meaning anything at all. So that's why I think what I'm doing with Viva Spanish is really productive, really useful, and most of all, really practical for the students that I have that are learning with me. And as we go on through the weeks, and as you hear more people speaking about the lessons that they've had with me, and you hear my, my well, I was gonna say former friends then, my friends from where I've lived previously in Spain coming on and discussing the, the trajectory that I've had in my Spanish, they'll almost always tell you that the repetition is the key to success. I've got a student at the moment, her name's Kaz, and she is absolutely flying. And I said to her, I'm, I'm not sure, Kaz, whether you're an absolute whiz with languages and you just have an, a, a knack for them, or whether you're putting in a load of work outside of the classes. Now the truth is she has a couple of hours a week and we spend that time really focused and I throw loads at her and she just soaks it all up, takes it all in. But then she does, she goes away and she, and she practices and she looks at the sentence structures. And we've had about four lessons, possibly five lessons together and she is doing amazingly well. I would say that potentially we're up at about 60% of the lesson being in Spanish. Now obviously there are prompts and there are images and there are things that help her to understand the context of the things we're speaking about. But beyond the explanations that I give for the grammar points that we mentioned, for the learning point of the lesson, she barely needs any English from me whatsoever. The occasional piece of vocabulary when she wanted to say something along the lines of camion today, meaning lorry. I mean, why would she know that? But here's the thing, she's going away, she's repeating, she's repeating. And this is what my friend Matt, who's coming on the podcast for the next episode, will tell you too. Repetition is key. He practices, he speaks to himself, he took that advice that I gave in that first podcast of commentating on one's own life. He took it, he ran with it, and he is doing great too.
I've given a name for my students that is the Viva Spaniards. And any of you guys listening are welcome to, to be Viva Spaniards along with them. Now you're listening to the podcast. And my Viva Spaniards are absolutely flying. Absolutely flying. The longest student I've had, I mentioned previously, I've had for a, for a number of years. But since forming the business and since doing this with people that I don't know, my students are now conversational. I'm not talking about that they can express everything perfectly in every context known to man. That's not the case. I'm not going to lie and say that it is. But what they are capable of doing is expressing what they want to in their own way, being understood perfectly well on a number of given topics. I've started incorporating now some of my classes have been with me for three, four, five, six months, whereby I select a conversation topic. Now, so far I've done four different conversation topics. The first one has been restaurants and food. La gastronomia is what I've called it, so cuisine, effectively. The next one has been la salud, so looking at health in general. A third has been los viajes, so traveling. And the fourth one that I prepared this morning is la cultura. And within those sets of slides, what I've done is I've put prompts just to make sure that the, the conversation has some sort of stimulus, that we don't run out of things to say, that we're on topic for an entire class. And I, when I say an entire class, I do a conversation class, which is purely based around these slides. And with my students that are on a full course and they get the grammar, they get the vocab, they get everything as part of the classes, well, they're at a level now where they need to be putting into use what they're learning. So it's the perfect lesson end for them. So perhaps with 20, 25 minutes to go, I'll say, right, this evening's topic for us to talk around is, and then give them whatever the topic is. And we attack it and we express ourselves. And I encourage and promote and provoke conversation by asking questions, by challenging them. And one of the things that I do and the philosophy of Viva Spanish is one that I picked up, and I'm not going to lie, I've magpied this, as they say nowadays, as opposed to stolen. I've magpied this. Correct every mistake on the spot as it happens. Because if you don't, you're allowing people to have those mistakes or those misconceptions become embedded in their Spanish. Now, I do forewarn my students that I might interrupt them, but I might cut them off, but it's all to make sure that they're speaking the most perfect Spanish that they can do. Now, if you're interested in following me, becoming more involved in the Viva Spanish community, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Viva Spanish Lee. And I think I've managed to get the podcast on almost all platforms. Apple, Spotify, even Ask Alexa. Alexa, play Viva Spanish, the podcast, and you'll start hearing my voice. How about that? Who'd have thought it, eh? This lad from Lincoln, no money, off to Spain for six months. Some years later, here I am, doing a podcast about Spanish with a Spanish language academy, loads of classes, loads of students, enjoying what I'm doing, and sharing my experiences with you guys. La próxima vez, más y mejor.